it's very easy to debate other people. What you want people to be debating is ideas. So if I'm debating you about any topic, I'm not attacking you. But I think when you have a transparent process that says, hey, does this talk score on these levels? Now I'm talking about those levels and I've depersonalized that conversation. And I think that's how we end up having a really high-performing team. So I'll give you an example. One year, we'd chosen a theme. Half the team didn't like it and half the team liked the theme we chose. It almost split our team. And I learned a lesson there. Um, number one, I, was, I said to myself, we need to change the theme because I'm not willing to lose half the team over this. Number two, what it taught me was that that team was invested in the success of TEDx Port of Spain because they were willing to fight about it. Hello, TEDx organizers, and welcome to another episode of Solving for X. I'm your host, Jay Harati, and today we'll be talking to Kita Deming, the organizer of TEDx Port of Spain in Trinidad and Tobago. Great curation is at the center of each TEDx event, and that seems relevant no matter what type of event you're producing, whether it's big or small, physical or virtual. The curation team at TEDx Port of Spain is passionate about staging talks that shake things up. They like to spark debate, and they try to move people forward. In this episode, you'll hear Kita's perspective on how TEDx events can provide this opportunity to highlight ideas from within your community that challenge the status quo and bring about positive change. Are you ready? Let's dive right in. Kita. Welcome to Solving for X. It's great to see you. It's great to be here. Tell us where you are. Well, today I'm in Toronto. Okay. <laughs> I run a TEDx event from Trinidad and Tobago. It's a tiny island, the most southern island in the Caribbean. What are you curating this year as a way of sparking important conversations? So this year our theme is called Opportunities. When we think of a theme... We talk about, okay, what's the potential for this theme to change conversations? So we have a team of four people who all they do all year is think about themes. And we have a little WhatsApp group and we send each other messages. And we chose the, when opportunities became a theme, it went from, do we do opportunity, the opportunities, opportunities? And then we ended up just going with opportunities. And part of the reason for that is we thought people could interpret it in terms of lost opportunities, in terms of opportunities found, opportunities gained. And we allow the speakers to do that. And then in our process, we have a team of five people who are from diverse backgrounds, a journalist, an activist, a business person, an academic, and somebody who runs a magazine locally. And we get together and we take submissions online And we are all always, everybody in the team is always tracking for potential speakers. And we rate them on a five-point scale from like things like coachability, things like do they have an idea worth spreading. The process is we invite you to say we you've been nominated to speak at TEDx Board of Spain. Can you send us an abstract? Then after they send the abstract, we kind of narrow it down. Most times by the time we send you an abstract, we're pretty sure you're going to be a potential speaker. 
But that process in itself lets us curate speakers as well because it tells us who's coachable, who's not coachable. People who don't think they need an abstract, we immediately cut them away. So then they're not managing massive egos and people who don't want to be coached. So and then we do two practice rounds of coaching and then we do a practice run the day before. So yeah, that's, that's our process. Fantastic. So at its face value, the word opportunity doesn't sound to me that challenging, doesn't sound like really very disruptive or particularly courageous. Um, how did you take that word and make it to be about conversations that change the way people think? So there, I'll give you an example with one of our speakers. One of our speakers, her name is Sienna Tiluxing. And Sienna is, I would say, an expert in renewable energy. And particularly, how do you bring renewable energy to islands? To the government and policymakers, decisions that were made in the past craft our lives today. Could the decisions that you make today craft the lives of future generations? This is your opportunity to establish yourself as visionary. In Trinidad and Tobago, we are an oil-rich country. We're the richest island in the Caribbean, and that's because we have oil. One of the things we have not done is we have not diversified our economy, so we're very dependent on oil. You have somebody like Tiziana who has potential solutions that can diversify our economy, and she's being ignored because of politics. She's too young. And quite frankly, the people who are invested in the status quo were not interested in moving off of oil. So we chose Sienna as a speaker because she'd been doing great work in other islands in the Caribbean, to the point where the Minister of Energy at the time met her at a conference and said to her, she needs to stop talking about those things that she's talking about because it's making them look bad. She was quite shaken by this, and for a while she didn't speak. And then part of when we heard about her story, we felt that's the kind of voice we need on stage and we need to be a supportive community for somebody like her because diversity can only make our island stronger. Mm. The other example, I think, there's a guy called David Abdullah. And I would say David Abdullah was a very controversial choice for us because David Abdullah is an activist by any stretch. And we try not to be political. We try not to be partisan. So in choosing him, we wanted to make sure that his talk was not political in any way. What his idea was talking about is that we need to have a new republic. So thinking about the concept of coming from a colonial island, how do we redefine this concept called a republic? We have a choice. Do we then become managers who very efficiently climb the ladder of success? Or do we become leaders and agents of change to reconstruct this society and help it to evolve to the Second Republic, further along that journey up to freedom? And I think for a lot of people, it's not something that they would have thought about. And for us, our talks have always been on this edge of being very, very provocative and thought-provoking, but very close to an idea that's implementable. In year two, my grandmother came to TEDx, and, and she was like 90 at the time. And then at the first break, came off stage, and she said to me, you young people, ideas are great, but we want to see action. 
I don't have time to wait for the ideas. I need to see action today. So I went back up on stage as the host and said, my grandmother just said this. Mm. And I think that has been a part of the culture informally where the, the community has pushed us towards ideas worth doing very, very early. Um, let's talk about kind of more challenging taboo topics. I guess sometimes when things get political, it gets complicated how to talk about everything without upsetting a lot of people. Um, what philosophy have you developed to tackle these kinds of topics? Yeah, so we deliberately seek out um, what we call taboo conversations. So we would often invite speakers to talk about a topic that we thought was important. And they would say, I can't talk about that issue until I retire. Hmm. Because if I do that, I will call people out and then I will be ostracized. Get into trouble. Yeah, I will get into trouble. That's when you get really excited. <laughs> when you That's know exactly. there's a real like, taboo right. topic. There. Exactly. <laughs> well, but, it, but ethically, it ends up being a risk for the yeah, of speaker. Course. Of course. So we have to be very careful about how we do that. So we, would, we worked really hard to try and figure out, okay, how do we get people to talk about these difficult issues without it being a calling out? but we get to the real issues. And that comes in the preparation. So we do a rigorous coaching process, and what we're trying to get to people is, okay, what is the basic principle you're trying to get out here? We're saying, what's the essence of that talk? What's the kernel of that mm. idea? The idea itself is neutral. There are things you can put around it that make it political and make it unaccessible. Some people reject it, etc. But there's certain things I think you can do, certain kinds of language that you can not use or avoid using, and it makes it more appealing to people and less threatening. So our basic philosophy is that people generally respond to two things, pain and pleasure. How do we take a very provocative idea and present it in a pleasurable way, essentially? Let's talk about how you remain truly bipartisan, get out of the ideology. I think... It's all about process. So for us, we have a team of people who are looking at the potential speaker coming in, and then they're the ones who are deciding what talks get chosen that year and does it fit with the theme, etc. I designed that so well that there were years when I wanted a speaker on stage and I couldn't get it because they had the power. I gave them that power. That meant the process was working because it meant that no one individual could sway the situation. So I think people have to be very disciplined with their process and focus on how are they getting from step A to B and being true to it and keeping the integrity of that. I think that's how people end up with very, very strong outcomes in the end. So for us, we are always looking at what's the idea versus the opinion or... I could give an example. Let's say in the U.S. you have Democrats and you have Republicans. Most The general thing that hap is happening there is one believes in less state involvement. The other one believes in a lot of support. The government should be more involved and should be, should be more support. That's the basic idea there. But we end up having, in that context, you end up having a lot of debate. But what if everybody's talked about, okay, what would good transportation look like? What would good healthcare look like? And I honestly believe if you distill all of that, 
you end up with most people want very similar things. So most people want access to healthcare. They disagree about how to pay for it, but <laughs> they want access to healthcare. So how do you focus on that versus focusing on the political things around whether it's insurance for all, whether it's private healthcare, et cetera, and focusing on the outcome and then working backwards? What I think I hear is that you approach everything with such a tight process that if an idea is being presented, it goes through kind of checking all the boxes, you know, all the criteria of what it should be to be an idea and not to be ideology. And so that tight process will kind of clean out any idea that is not properly presented and that feels too political. But what is not clear to me is, is that a process that designed to eject speakers with certain narratives? Or is it designed to take the speaker, explain to them the criteria, and have them reshape their talk so that they pass the test once they get put through that, that machine? Or is it both? I think it's both, but I, I really believe in process for a number of reasons. Number one, it's very easy to debate other people. What you want people to be debating is ideas. So if I'm debating you about any topic, I'm not attacking you. But I think when you have a transparent process that says, hey, does this talk score on these levels? Now I'm talking about those levels and I've depersonalized that conversation. And I think that's how we end up having a really high-performing team. So I'll give you an example. One year, we'd chosen a theme. Half the team didn't like it and half the team liked the theme we chose. It almost split our team. And I learned a lesson there. Um, number one, I was I said to myself, we need to change the theme because I'm not willing to lose half the team over this. Number two, what it taught me was that that team was invested in the success of TEDx Port of Spain because they were willing to fight about it. So it's how do you develop tools that depersonalize context so you avoid conflict and you focus on performance. So I think I think that's what we've done. That makes sense. I want to take a stab at you describing your matrix. Try to visualize it for somebody who's never seen it before and just describe it in your own words. All right, so there are four kinds of conversations you have. You can have conversations that are focused on the past, conversations that are focused on the future, conversations that are positive, conversations that are negative. If you put that in a matrix, you end up with four quadrants. And the top right hand is what we call your preferred future. The quadrant number two ends up being your resourceful past. Underneath that, which is negatives, ends up being your regretful past, and then you have your regretful future. What we try to do is get our speakers to speak from either our highlight what could be the dreaded future, but really focus on what is our preferred future. So we try to have above-the-line mm -hmm. conversations. And that's mm -hmm. the kind of framework that we have started to use in the last year. And that's really transformed how we ask questions, how we think about the talks, etc. because people respond to pleasure and pain. If we can give people hopes and demonstrate the opportunity, I think that's how you create community rather than dwelling in the regretful past and the dreaded future about what are you fearing. Those things are important, but the solutions lie above the line. That makes sense. So you put together a clear, rigorous, very structured process in place that helps you get to 25 great ideas 
uh, in a way that is very methodical, very clean, very predictable, very repeatable, and team members are disciplined and engaged and I get all that. Now you've got 25 ideas. They've all passed the test. You've got to narrow it down to 12. Talk to me about how this team that has now been dependent on spreadsheets for, for the first part of this, how do you then make the choices? Who's in the room when you need to narrow it down from 25 great ideas to the 12 or 10 final ones? So I, I, I think um, one of the things we have the group of five, they narrow it down to 25. They send it out to the team, and then we get people to vote on which ones they liked. And then we basically have a big meeting, and we put people on sticky notes or like a card or something, and we start to say, okay, so who's definitely in? We go through the 25 one by one. Do we keep this person? Do we not keep this person? Why are we in this one? Why is not? It? Why do we not have this person? But we, we do rely on a lot of processes, so that voting process does have... And then we just sit in a room for three hours and basically debate. <laughs> and we debate down to about 10. And usually people come up with really good ideas. So, for example, one of the things that came out of that was often there are people who say, hey, I think we're choosing between two environmental speakers. We can't have more than two speakers in the environment on this platform because often we only have 10 and we try to have 10 from 10 different, different sectors. Topics, yeah. Then we would say, okay, so why are we choosing this environmentalist versus this one? Why are we choosing this business person versus this business person? There's a concept in management theory which talks about fluid and fixed. And most of us, in most things, we tend to gravitate to one side versus the other. And we try to be both fluid and fixed at the same time. That's in that fluid moment. So I, we chose a speaker this year because a person in the room said, I feel this person will give a stronger talk than this one. And what was funny about it was that the personality we chose was a quiet, reserved person. And what we did is we sent two volunteers to interview them informally. And they came back and said, you know what? This person is more pensive and we think they're more coachable. And that's how we end up choosing a speaker. Mm. It, 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 it's not always... It's not always a hard science and we understand that. Interesting. And I, I do run a core... License, he is my mother, but we've never had a <laughs> debate or anything like that. So, because when your mom wants something, you, you just do it, right? Is that why there's no debate? Yeah, partly, partly. <laughs> she might say otherwise, but um, I didn't realize that that was a unique scenario until other people pointed it out. But we happen to work really well together, um, and we're very clear on each other's roles and what each other's strengths are, and it works. So, and I think I might be very structured and process-oriented because I have an additional dynamic. Yeah, and I know your mother as a co-organizer is a is a bona fide TEDx organizer like all the rest of you. Uh, she's come to many TED events. I've, I've met her and I feel like at least at least three, yeah. Yeah, she's been to TED Fest. She's been to TED Active. She's, yeah. I feel like there are more family members, though, involved with you, no? Is it just you and your mom? Oh, no, or? it's just so my, so my mother and I are co-licensee. Yeah. My dad's a big volunteer, and my wife has coached. And the funny story is that my dad wasn't the biggest fan of this idea of doing this TEDx thing. 
now he just loves Ted. Oh, <laughs> he's good. like he's our number one volunteer. Well, look, there's a, there's great advice there for TEDx organizers who normally struggle to explain to their relatives why they're doing this crazy TEDx thing. So the f- the way to fix that is make the family members a part of the team, and then <laughs> then they join along with you. There's no explaining to be done. Um, Actually, there's a good lesson there. I had one of the first years we did TEDx. We had a bunch of critics. So people gave us like really bad reviews, and it's a very elitist event, etc. And I said, look, here's what we do next year. We're just going to invite them to the event. So we sent them all free tickets. These are journalists. They were people who were very influential. We invited them in year three. Year four, they became our biggest advertisers. They were like mm. sharing it the most and loving the event more. And that's a general lesson in, in life, I think. Instead of having people outside the tent, just bring them in the tent. Mm. It might be uncomfortable. It's... There was once a guy who emailed me and said, he said something negative about TEDx Bordespin, and I responded to him and said, Abraham Lincoln once said, I do not like you, therefore I must get to know you. Huh. That was my one-line email. And then, he was, then his response was, you've just disarmed me, let's have coffee. And then he and I had coffee, and now he's a big, he's ended up being a sponsor for the TEDx event. That's, uh, that's right? incredible. So it, that's incredible. There are ways that you invite people into the tent. Did you ever get into trouble by putting something on stage that was just too much heat uh, or too provocative? And uh, did you ever feel like, ooh, like I really pushed this to the edge? The answer is yes. Um, I don't know. I, you know what I'm going to say to that is that in hindsight, it doesn't feel like that bad because it's all kind of washed away. I do think that this year we're going to have a talk with a guy, he's a very influential business person in Trinidad. And going back to that piece around people not being able to speak the truth or feeling like they can't say what they need to say, he was asking in a coaching session, I don't know if I can say this. Can I say this publicly? And my response to him was, if you can't say it, we're in trouble. Because mm-hmm. you're the one of the most powerful, most influential businessmen in the country. If you can't speak what you believe is truth, we're in a lot more trouble than we think. So I think when we, because we do a process where it's distilling an idea down to the core, I am nervous before the event, etc., or before the talk, but usually it works out in the end. So one year, again, a year with courage, we got this girl to talk about her experience around rape. And we knew that this talk was going to be the audience has no idea what the speaker is going to talk about. They just knew the name. And she told a story about rape. Free to finish if not to win. And I will have the courage to choose exactly how I finish my race. I am one, but infinity is in me. I'm alone and I am a woman, but I am free. And I remember standing outside. Uh, she was just before the break, which is also an accidental lesson I learned. Give a really powerful talk before a break. People talk about it. It adds to the experience for all the TEDx organizers. When people were coming out of the doors, you could see tears and people were like, mm. when you were in the room, it was such an amazing talk because mm. she was a singer, a dancer, a spoken word poet. 
and she used song and it was just such a powerful experience. And I think those are the kind of things where we do try and push the boundaries every year with one speaker who we think, okay, this speaker is speaking about that thing that's off stage that we want on stage. But we've had all those kinds of things happen for sure. And right. I think, okay, I think what I what I do need to say is that organizing a TEDx event in the Caribbean or in a developing country or on an island, it's it means something very different than if you're doing it in California or San Francisco, etc. And it's because the distance to actually making a difference is shorter mm. with less people, I think. So in a country of 1.3 million people, I don't need to reach 1.3 million people. I need to reach 10,000, 1,000. I can meet, reach 100. And the impact of that could transform an entire island. Whereas in the U.S., your population is insane. <laughs> For you to get to 1% of your population, that's very different than in Trinidad. So I think our issues, often the, the issues that are very, very solvable, with the right traction, they can make an immediate difference on an entire country. Well, that's great to hear. And the good news is that there are many other TEDx communities in larger countries, but they see their community as a smaller community of their city or their town or their borough, right? Kita, our time has run out. Uh, it's always a pleasure seeing you. Uh, you really kind of challenge my my mind, and I'm always impressed with how thoughtful and considered and methodical you are about organizing your TEDx event, which seems to grow stronger and stronger every year. Uh, thank you so much for coming here and sharing uh, much of the wisdom. And you're invited to come to Trinidad anytime you want. I would love that. Thank you so much, Kita. All the best. Talk soon. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Solving for X. Join us on the TEDx Hub to find additional resources on this topic. You can also share your insights or ask questions. This episode was produced with love by Bianca de Jesus, recorded by Taylor Stemley and researched by Tsvetina Deneva. This episode was edited by Mickey Kapper. If you haven't done so already, subscribe to the Solving for X channel wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play, or of course on the TEDx Hub. Thank you for listening to Solving for X. See you next time.